you see me on there at all? Okay, I think I'm live. Okay, everybody. Hello. I don't know how many people are out there. I uh, had a little bit of uh, technical difficulty here just in, in trying to get things started, um, but we haven't lost any time, which is good. Let me know if the audio sounds okay. I'm hoping that it does. Uh, we are in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, is where we're going to be for the lesson. Just a few things um, to discuss. You got, you got us? Okay, Julie's got us on there. So probably most everybody got a copy of the bulletin if you were at uh, main service at the main service this morning. Um, Julie and I weren't able to be there, um, but we will start being there in the main service next Sunday. And uh, uh, but anyway, just a couple of things on the bulletin. I only have the first page, but next steps was today. VBS meeting, from what I heard, went really well. There's a lot of. Um, a lot of people are interested in participating in VBS and helping the uh, Cohen's out with that. So if you didn't get a chance to go to that meeting but you want to be a part of it, please contact uh, Chris or Lauren Cohen, and uh, they will get you a job, and you can minister to the children and their families. Uh, one of the things that we're doing, you guys don't, you're probably the only ones who are going to know this, but we are making a special Bible cover for the VBS children that that's sign up, and when they're going to the Bible teaching uh, station, they will get a Bible for themselves. And uh, I want to thank the the vouchers for that recommendation from last year. They recommended that we give a Bible out. We're a church that gives out Bibles. Why don't we give out a Bible to the kids? So excellent idea. Um, and uh, Terry Wilson has made a cover using the artwork from the from the VBS material. I'm excited for this. We're going to make a hundred of them, give them out to their to the kids and their families. Uh, promotion Sunday is June 20, 21st, which is the following as a week from today. Uh, that basically means the kids are moving up to the next upper classroom. You should get information from uh, the Kingdom Seekers about that. Men's Bible and Breakfast is June twentieth. Uh, that actually has no, that has not passed. So that's that's next Saturday coming up. HBI graduation. We have a graduate. Lauren Cohen is graduating from HBI. She put in a lot of labor to get to this point. Please come out and, and uh, support her. Support the advanced discipleship process that we have at HBF. Uh, it is June 28th, a Sunday night at 6 o'clock. We'll have some preaching. We'll have some uh, some good encouraging word. And, uh, and then we'll have some cake and punch. So, uh, uh, please come out support um, Lauren in that. Uh, and then there's some uh, information about the flags because June 14th was Flag Day. Um, and then a couple of other things. Uh, Chris, uh, not Chris, but uh, Lance's cleaning team is January is July 25th, and Bob Hall's cleaning team is June 21st. So that's actually coming up this weekend. So, Bob, hopefully you've been able to uh, get with um, uh, Jim Boyette to find out exactly what he expects from the cleaning teams. Um, I've got a couple of people give me some information about discipleship updates, and uh, that has been profitable 
to hear how things are going. If you have not communicated with me yet and you are in the discipling somebody, um, please let me know what the status is. You can also take the How to Disciple class. I think there's information on the website for signing up for that. And uh, then for people who want to take D2, uh, that's the, I don't know what the dates are on these, but I think they might be on the website as well. But just be looking for that information. And if you need it, contact me and I'll try to get it for you. Um, and I think that's it, announcement-wise. Um, so next Sunday, if you haven't heard already, next Sunday on the 21st, uh, we are going to be back in, um, the best way I can describe it is in 2019 mode of operation. We are not going to be, uh, we're going to have uh, all the chairs in the auditorium. We're going to have one service at 1030. We're going to have Bible fellowships at 9 o'clock in the classrooms that they are normally associated with. And uh, um, and then there'll be a regular 6 o'clock service in the auditorium at 6 o'clock Sunday evening. So we're moving back to normal status. Uh, so I hope to see everybody uh, but if you are unable, if you're uncomfortable or don't feel that it is appropriate for you to be at any one of these services at the, just because of the concerns that you have, uh, please do what you think is the right thing to do. Nobody will make you feel bad whether you come or don't come. Nobody will make you feel bad if you wear a mask or don't wear a mask. And nobody will make you feel bad if you want to maintain a socially distant space between other people. Um, whatever you're comfortable with, we will be comfortable with. And so I'm saying that in, in speaking for the whole class and actually speaking for the whole church. And I hope that that carries through to everybody. So please um, uh, have grace for people who are wanting to be here but are a little bit uncomfortable. And they may have a very good reason. Um, people look at me and think, maybe you got a good reason not to be here. Why are you coming? Well, that's my choice. Uh, I'm comfortable being where God wants me to be. And in this case, I believe that God wants me to be at church on the 21st, and that's where I'm going to be. Um, I may ask you not to uh, give me a hug or shake my hand or sit next to me, but it's not because I don't love you. It's just because um, I'm trying to maintain my health and do what the Lord wants me to do at the same time. So uh, bear with everybody on that. When, when that happens. But the 21st, we're back in normal operation. The 24th, which I believe is Wednesday, uh, we'll have TNT. Or no, we'll have fun, start having fun in the sun. I believe that's the goal that may not happen right away. But if you're interested in serving in the ministry, and I know that they could use some help in the children's wing, contact Mitch or Jody uh, Newland, and they will find a, a place for you to, to fit the body. So uh, so that's everything that announcement wise. Turn over to the book of Mark, chapter three. Um, I think that that's where we were at. It's been a couple of weeks, and so I don't remember exactly what, what verse we finished at. But I think we'll just pick up in verse 16 of Matthew chapter three. I'll read down to the end, and then I'm going to pray. We have a lot of material to cover in our, in our passage in Philippians chapter two. So I'm just going to go through this, pray. Oh, by the way, please pray for uh, Annabeth. Um, you know, she's got some things going on with her liver, and uh, just keep her in prayer. I know I'm sure many of you already pray for her all the time. Pray for the uh, uh, the Steels. Pray for uh, the Arnie's, uh, Gwaine's doctor. Is prefer he not not be here, um, but uh, she'll be in prayer for the Arnie's 
be in prayer for the Balkans, be in prayer for Joyce Slayhuber, and uh, and also um, uh, Bud Cross, be in prayer for him as well, um, and uh, and just be in prayer for the entire class. And if there's anybody else that I've missed, I'm sorry. Try to catch everybody. You can text Julie eight one six eight zero eight eight one five five if you have a specific prayer request that will add to um, before I read before I finish reading to start praying. If you want to go ahead and text that information to her. So verse sixteen: Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, uh, Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James and the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into a house. And the multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard it, they went out to lay hold on him, for he said he is beside himself. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a stronghold man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of the men and the blasphemies wherewith, wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he shall, um, but he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of the eternal damnation, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. Uh, there came then his brethren and his mother, and standing outside, sent unto him, and calling him, and the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold thy mother and thy brethren, without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother, or my brethren? And he looked around about on them, which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. All right, so... Any text me? Okay. Well, let's pray. It, wait. Oh. Oh. Well, thank you for the correction on that. Um, okay. Forward that to me. So, uh, Bob Hall's cleaning team, I had the wrong date apparently. Uh, it's not June 21st, it's June 13th. Well, that was yesterday. Okay, well, I'm sure the church is excellently clean now because of that. I'm sorry, I had the wrong date. Please forgive me on that. Uh, you probably are like shocked that you had to clean twice in a row. But uh, I do appreciate anybody that cleans the church, even before COVID virus, just because you know, we should take care of the house that God has given to us. Uh, so let's pray, and we'll get started. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. And Lord, we, we don't want to be a house divided. We don't want our church to be divided. We don't want our body to be divided. Uh, but Lord, we do want you to divide up Satan, and uh, that he would not be able to accomplish his 
desires in our lives to affect your ministry. We pray, Father, for protection in that. Uh, Lord, we ask for your guidance and your wisdom. We pray, Father, that you would you would uh, give us uh, the wisdom that we need to accomplish your work uh, in our lives. And we'll thank you and praise you for it all. We pray, Father, for tonight uh, for uh, uh, Annabeth Bonison. I uh, just want to lift her up to you, Lord, that you would just continue to work in her life. She's had some positive results from tests, but she still has a long road to go. And so we pray, Father, that you would go that road before her and clear a path. We pray for the Bonison or for the uh, the, the Balkans and the Arnies and the Steels. We pray for Joyce Slayhuber's daughter, Jill. We ask, Father, that you would take care of uh, uh, Bud Crust. And, uh, and Lord, I know that there's probably another name or two that I, that I have overlooked in our class. We just, we pray, Father, for our, everybody in the class that we would be encouraged by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would be encouraged by the work of the Holy Spirit, to what the Holy Spirit is accomplishing every day. Use us, Father. And we thank you for those reports that, that I heard tonight on a pastor meeting, Lord, that people have gotten saved. Even the young lady that got disciples, she's only been coming to our church for just a, a few short weeks, but she saw, she saw God moving and she saw the freedom of, that God provided for her and she got saved and she got baptized. What a testimony, Lord. I pray that we would be able to reach out, uh, and recognize, Lord, that there are guests still coming to our church, even though we may not feel like we're always uh, want to be here because of the coronavirus. There are people that are coming that have never been to church or haven't been to a church in a long time, and they want to reestablish or, or get a relationship established with you through Christ as their Savior. And so we pray for them. We pray for us, Lord, that we would reach out and uh, uh, just extend the hand of fellowship, even if we don't, gonna, don't have to touch, don't have to hug, but just let people know that we love them and we thank them for being here and answer their questions. Uh, that they may have about what goes on at HPF. We thank you for all that you do. We pray, Father, for the message that we look at tonight, that it would be uh, uh, glorifying. And we just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are in um, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to try to finish the whole chapter uh, starting in verse... We're going to back up actually to verse 17, even though we kind of touched on 17 a couple of weeks ago. Um, what I've titled this message, and, uh, and I have to tell you, it, it, this this passage from verse 17 all the way down to verse 30, uh, it kind of jumped off the page at me in, in a way that I never expected. And I have read the book of Philippians many times, and it's one of the one of my favorite books. But um, but this passage of scripture is is really the is is talking about the 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 mission prepared believer. The mission prepared believer. Uh, by the way, if you don't, if I didn't get you on an email to get the handout, which is this, uh, it is in the files section of the, the the class Facebook page, and you can download it uh, there if you would like. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, I've entitled I titled this the mission prepared believer because what we see here is. Is really the qualifications, maybe not, maybe not qualification. Maybe it's a little bit too too rigid, but the the characteristics, the character traits of a missionary. What what do we look at as missionaries? Our church is a mission church. 
our church is a missionary supporting church. And one of the roles that I have as a missions pastor and what we, as the pastoral team, as the mission board, we evaluate missionaries. And it's just really good. This, this passage gives us, uh, some criteria for evaluating what a missionary ought to look like. And so, so I find it really interesting. So, so, so I start off with this question. What makes a person valuable to God as a servant? Have you ever considered that for yourself? What makes God see you as valuable as his servant? And so I give you a couple of answers. So the first answer is that they must have the heart of a humble servant. So we see that in this, in this passage. We'll, we'll, we'll unpack this thing. Uh, we'll look at it. We'll see that there needs to be the heart of a humble servant. And as you recall, in the verses 1 to 4, we talked about humility. We, we looked at the example in 5 through 8 of the humility of Christ becoming a man and coming to the earth uh, and sacrificing himself for the unity of the body. Uh, so having a humble heart, a selfless heart, willing to give yourself to the simplest of tasks, not for your own fulfillment or gain, but for the sake of the Lord that you love. That's what we see in this passage here about these men we're going to talk about. By the way, we're going to talk about Paul. We're going to talk about Timothy, and we're going to talk about Epaphrodites as three examples of missionaries. Um, and they all had a humble servant heart attitude. So we need to understand what Jesus was referring to when he said in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 11, he, he said, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Now remember when he made that statement, uh, we need to understand that the greatness in that greatness in the eyes of God rises out of sacrifice. It rises out of a humble heart. What are you willing to do for God? Uh, if God is asking you to do something, are you going to are you going to dicker with Him? Are you going to negotiate with Him? Are you going to try to plead your your you know that He give you a a, a chance to disconnect, uh, or are you going to do it? And so we need to understand that greatness in the eyes of God rises out of sacrifice which comes from a humble position. And so, okay, so this, the second thing is, um, so so we have to have a heart of a humble servant, but what does the beginning of chapter 2 have to do with this, this sacrificial service? As I've already said, uh, Paul started off talking about in verses 1 to 4, having to do a, having to have a, sacri- a, a hum- humility that impacts unity. And so humility comes from being a servant. The idea that you would humble yourself to serve somebody else, what Matthew 23, verse 11 is talking to. And the pattern of the sacrificial example of God becoming a man to save man is the example in verses 5 to 12 that we talked about, followed by the sanctification of the believer. And how last time we talked about two weeks ago, we discussed sanctification of the believer. And sanctification is the setting yourself apart to, to accomplish something in holiness that God wants you to do. If you remember Second Corinthians, uh, let me back up a second. I missed the part. So from now, for verse seventeen down to verse thirty, Paul is going to speak about how our sanctification prepares us to offer ourselves as as a sacrifice and as a a sweet savor unto the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter two verse sixteen says, "To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life." And who is sufficient for these things? And in Paul, remember the verse in Romans chapter 12. Everybody's familiar with Romans chapter 12. Verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you do what? That you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice, um, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What God is looking for is somebody who is serving, um, who has understood that they present their bodies as a living sacrifice. And so Paul describes how he, as well as both Timothy and Epaphrodites, are human models for us to look example. They're human models of spiritual life and service, and we can adapt our life to emulating them. So uh, humble service was Paul's main point in this whole chapter, humble service. So remember in verse 3, if you look back at verse 3 for real quick, verse 3 says, beware of, um, wrong chapter, verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. <clears throat> and then in verse 12 and verse 13, he encourages us to work out our own salvation. And we discussed that at length about working out our own salvation, demonstrating our transformed sacrificial life. So we are to humbly, we are to humbly work out our salvation, knowing that it is the power of God working in us and through us to do so in every circumstance. So we have a pattern of spiritual service to, to look into how humility and unity allow us to work, work out God's salvation in us, which carries us to serving Him sacrificially. <clears throat> so Paul gives three examples in this passage. Uh, himself is one, uh, and then Titus, I'm sorry, T- Timothy, and then Epaphrodites. They become models of what... Um, kind of missionary uh, we should be or we should want to be. And every one of us, by the way, should have a desire to be a missionary in some way. I'm not talking about going across the, the big pond, as we like to say. I'm not saying that you've got to go to another country. But when you go, just as I, as I was praying earlier, that we need some people to maybe rise up and go help in the, in the kingdom seeker's wing, because with the changes that have happened, some people have disconnected and may never come back. I, I'm not giving names. I don't know, but but uh, you hear things. And so um, maybe you can rise up as a missionary to the children and, and take this, this whole passage here and be um, the model that you need to see as a missionary to the children. Let me take a drink real quick. Okay, so... Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 says that their hearts might be comforted, be knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ. And so these three men, they illustrate the same selflessness, humility, and sacrificial service. All of those things are bound up into their life. And they illustrate working out your salvation. So you want to see what does it mean to work out your salvation? These guys give us a perfect example of what it means to work out your salvation. Not that you get saved by you working for your salvation. We've talked about that already. We're not discussing that. We're not suggesting that. Um, so, so their service and they illustrate the sac- the, uh, working out your salvation in the power of God. So let's start off with verse 17 and 18. And Paul writes in verse 17. Actually, I want to go back and uh, read verse 16 holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, 
I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So Paul, if we're talking about a missionary, if we were to catalog our, our, a missionary and look at them and give them a, um, a, a, a descriptor, we would say of Paul that Paul is the sacrificial rejoicer. Paul was willing to sacrifice for the joy that his sacrifice brings him just doing what he needs to do for the people that he's doing it for. So according to verse 16, he does not want to run or labor in vain, but he did fear, and this is where this all comes, the joy part comes in. Notice it says in verse 16, I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, yea, but if I'm offered, if, meaning if, my, if I have to die for you, uh, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. So he, so, so his, he would sacrifice himself so, so that any person would be, um, I don't know if I want to use the word benefited or elevated or promoted, but the idea is, is that, that you serve God as a missionary sacrificially by ministering to other people, that brings you joy, that brings God joy, that brings that person joy, and everybody rejoices, regardless, but it's your sacrifice that is happening. And so, um, so Paul did not want his service and the value of his sacrifice to be inadequate. So that's another thing too, is your sacrifice, is what you're doing, does it, does it meet the need or is it just something that you do? Is it just a half-baked idea or a half-baked plan? And I have seen sometimes where people say, "This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to invest in this. I'm going to I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to make this happen." And then they don't. And that's not sacrificial. That's self. That's self-grandizing. I don't know if that's really a word or not, but they're grandizing themselves in that. And so anyway. Uh, Paul didn't want to do that. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. That was his attitude. He keeps under his body. He brings his body into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I love that past, that, that, that word castaway, that I should not be a castaway. And what he's talking about here, he doesn't want his work to be thrown out. Uh, he doesn't want the work that he did, the sacrifice that he did, the ministry that he did to be discarded or disregarded um, by somebody that he was trying to serve. Paul ministered out of a passion and a zeal and a fear. All three things worked within him all the time. Passion for what he was doing, a zeal for getting it done, and a fear that if he didn't do it, there would be negative consequence. And I don't know if you feel that way about serving the Lord. I don't know what you think about when you think about how you serve the Lord. If you were to go back and answer that first question that I said, what makes a person valuable to God as a servant? And try to answer that question about yourself. What would make you valuable to God? Uh, so do you have the, the, what, what Paul had, a passion, a zeal, and a fear that if he failed to give his maximum effort, his life would have been in vain? That's what he said in verse 16. I don't want my life to be in vain. I don't want to run in vain, neither labor in vain. Vanity. 
uh, and vain things, meaning it's, it's useless, it's ineffective. That's not what Paul wanted to do. Um, so what motivated Paul was not just the need to further the gospel, although that's important for all of us to further the gospel, but to further it in a way that pleased the Father. And that's that's what Paul's concern was. Not only did he want to minister to the people, but he also wanted to please his Father, uh, God in heaven. And so as we go down through verse 17, uh, he says, hey, if I be offered up upon the sacrifice, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. And so he was willing to be offered as a sacrifice. Um, we don't we don't really spend a lot of time reading, or maybe some of you do, uh, in some missionary books or some bio, biographies or something about missionaries about what they were willing to do, what they were willing to give up in order to accomplish the mission of God. But Paul was willing to be offered not only just in what he did, but he was willing to offer his own life uh, for somebody else. Now, how how are we willing to do that? I know people say, I would die for my wife, I would die for my children, and I understand what they're talking about. That's kind of along the lines of what Paul is saying. I am willing to die for the the souls that need to be saved in the city of Philippi or in the city of Harrisonville, or the city of Peculiar, or Belton, or any place else. Are we willing to die? What does that look like? How do we live that out? How do we please God by by doing that? According to verse 16, he does not want to run in vain or labor in vain, but he did fear that his efforts to serve the King of Kings would be too little, too late. And we don't want that to happen for us either. He did not want his service and the value of his sacrifice to be inadequate, um, and so, uh, in verse 17, um, he also says that he was sac- his sacrificial service was for the joy of other people. The word offered here in this, in verse 17, which is if I be offered, that's a Greek word, uh, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, but it's spelled as if it's the word spendo, spend. He's offering, he's spending, meaning to pour out as a libation. In other words, to devote one's life or blood as a sacrifice offer. So Paul was willing to sacrifice his own blood as a libation offer. And so we understand from um, Numbers, I'll get to Numbers here in just a moment, but uh, so so in the Old Testament, with all of the offerings that were given at the at the um, the sacrificial uh, burnt offering in the in the tabernacle. Uh, there was a pouring out of blood at one of the last things that was done, and, and or at the beginning it was pour, some of the blood was poured on the animal. At the end, some of it was poured on the altar. Uh, and so Paul saying, "My blood could be poured out for your joy." And so he said the same thing to Timothy in Second Timothy four six when he was talking about his sacrificial life. He said, "For I am now ready to be offered." And the time of my departure is at hand. Paul was ready to be offered. <clears throat> and he expected that his life was coming to a close in the service of, of of Christ, having labored for the salvation of the church and exposing himself to peril that the gospel had been furthered. That was what he desired. So in referencing to in referencing to himself being offered, what he's referring to is how an animal, when he called himself the offering, 
an animal when about to be slain had wine poured on it and devoting it to God. If you go back to Numbers chapter 15, Numbers chapter 24, 28, uh, Numbers 15, 5, if you want to jot that down, and Numbers 28, 14, and then also in Numbers 28, 7, I'm going to read this one to you, and the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of a hen of for of one of the lamb, or for the one lamb, in the holy place shalt thou cause the strong wine to be poured out unto the Lord for a drink offering. Paul was relating himself to that kind of an offering, that that blood offering uh, would be poured out, uh, and he would be willing to pour himself out. And then he talks about upon a sacrifice. So he was ready to offer up his own blood as the drink offering poured out to God in the same way uh, that we would say that a soldier sacrificed himself for his fellow soldiers. If you've been in the military, um, you've been in a war zone especially, you understand what that's referring to where somebody would say, I'm willing to die for my uh, my buddy in the foxhole next to me or the guy jumping out of the plane next to me. I'm willing to die for them. I will sacrifice myself. That's the kind of thing that Paul was doing. So the point that Paul makes is that he is willing to be poured out and offered just to make sure that another hearer, that another person hears and their faith in the gospel is made sound. He's willing to die so that another person's faith in God becomes strengthened. That's incredible to think that that's, that's the kind of missionary that we should strive to want to be or that character that we have, that we should develop ourselves. And so the point that Paul makes here, he's willing to be poured out and offered just to make another person here and have their faith strengthened. So what of us? What about us? Are we willing to be poured out that others may be saved? Or is the risk for our life just not worth their soul? That's a challenging question. Uh, When you say, how much would I give for the soul of those people across the street? How much would I give for the soul of those people that I work with? Or the soul of those people that um, that I see, whatever's going on at the ball fields or whatever. What am I willing to What am I willing to pour out so that they could be saved? The point is that Paul is bringing us to to what he's bringing us up to is that to work out our salvation may require our becoming a drink offering poured out for another person. That may be working on our salvation. Is that we would be willing to give up for Paul, or for, for another person, and give up our life. So Paul's not referring to the potential of his ex- execution as being offered. He knows he's going to be executed. Well, he doesn't know, but he presumes that he could be executed because he's under house arrest. He's been under, he's been under pr- in, in prison uh, since before he left Jerusalem, uh, and now for a while he's in Rome. And so he knows that he could die for that, but that's that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how can he offer a sacrificial offering of his life for other people to be saved. And in fact, Paul refers to him as the drink offering because of the great sacrifice that the, Philippi- the Philippians have made in suffering for their faith. If you go back and look at chapter 1, verse 28 to 30, you'll see what that refers to. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear to me in me. 
Okay, then he goes on in verse 17, and he talks about the service, the sacrifice and service of your faith. And what does he mean by that? So he never looks at the saints in Philippi comparing himself to them or comparing them to himself. They were seen as priests in their own right because they're believers, and we know that the Bible says in Revelation that we're kings and priests. So they were seen as priests in their own right, faithful, sacrificial. That encouraged Paul, and he rejoiced over their faithfulness and sacrifice. Yet his and their sacrifices were not separate. The drink offering was customarily offered by one who brought the sacrifice. So whoever brought the sacrifice to the old to the temple uh, would offer the sacrifice, but offer the the drink offering as well. And so the service or the sacrifice that made was giving their lives to the cause of Christ. That's what the church had been doing already: preaching, teaching, proclaiming, living for Christ. And the word for service, as he talks about that in verse 17. So we, we talked about the word offered, and we're talking now we're talking about the word service, service of your faith. That is the word um, liturgos, which is the word where we get the word liturgy. You may be familiar with the word liturgy, which means the service of the priests who offer up their lives in sacrifice, and he is humbly less than than their sacrifice. And so Paul is saying, hey, you're, you, you're, you are serving uh, in a priestly way. And then he goes on and he talks about the joy in 17 and 18, the joy and rejoicing. And what Paul is pointing us to is the unity of an equal or a common sacrifice. And he found joy in knowing that he could be offered up as a sacrifice. That, that brought joy to him because his sacrifice would be the, would be the gain of, of another soul. So think about a missionary living under extreme conditions and the potential for persecution that they may be facing and asking, how can they do it? Don't we always do that? How could, how could that missionary take his family to that country? How could they live in those circumstances? People ask that all the time. But you know what? Their answer is, I find great joy in being able to serve God in those locations. Isn't that kind of how they answer it? Maybe not exactly in those words. But I know that when Julie and I were in Zambia and people asked, why are you going to Zambia? Because it's going to give me great joy to be able to minister to those people who need to hear the gospel. And I'm going to be a help to other missionaries who are there as well. So I had all of that. But it was my joy to sacrifice. And, and it was a sacrifice. Julie and I sacrificed a tremendous amount, both emotionally, spiritually, physically, uh, to accomplish us going there. And so uh, now we, we may never be able to experience the kind of joy in ministry until we fully understand that sacrifice in ministry, especially if we seek joy in possessions and not in sacrifice. Working with the children ought to bring people joy. Working with life issues ought to bring people joy. Working in the prison ought to bring people joy. Working in the AV booth ought to bring people joy. Why? Because you're sacrificing for the the betterment, the the growth of another person. And then we get into verses 19 to 24, which is Timothy. So let's read, start in 19, we'll read all the way down to verse 24. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. 
For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for you, your, for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. But you, but, but ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will be, it will go with me. Verse 24, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Okay, when I was in uh, the Bible Institute in the, at the church that I got saved at and got trained at, and I was taking a missions class, one of the discussions that we had there was who in the Bible is the greatest missionary example? Who in the Bible is the greatest missionary example? And, um, you know, there was a lot of answers. Uh, the correct answer was discussed constantly. Some people had views of others, and some people had views of Timothy being being the great missionary example. Um, and while while he is a model, I don't see him necessarily as the greatest. He's just one of the models that we have in the Bible. Um, these three men, Paul and Timotheus and Epaphroditus, they all ministered together. They were all working together. They were all serving together. So I wouldn't say one is better than the other. Each one of them, Paul had a, a sacrificial attitude. Timothy, as we see title-wise, Timothy is a single-minded sympathizer. Single-minded. He, he was focused on one thing and one thing only, which is what we should be doing. Focused on one thing and one thing only. So um, Paul shows us three great examples. And they, as like I said, they were all friends, uh, fellow laborers, and they ministered together, worked together as their ministry, service, and sacrifice was intertwined. Each are distinct, however, but they all illustrate the same things. They all illustrate selflessness, humility, spiritual service, but they also had their, their differences too. So we'll start with Timothy. Verse 19, Timothy was willing to go where he was sent. You know, it says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus. Now, we don't get away with that in our churches anymore, where the pastor says, Sam, not his son Sam, uh, Joe, I need you to go here and serve there for a while and go take care of this. We don't, we don't really do that anymore because people don't like to be told where to go. But Timothy had no problem. If somebody needed, if Timothy was needed in the spot and Paul said, Timothy, I need you to go here, he went. He was willing to go wherever he was sent. Paul had a desire to be with the Philippian church. Paul could have gone to the Philippian church. In fact, he wanted to go to the Philippian church. But he said, I can't go. Uh, we know from chapter 1, verse 25, uh, that is that he that he was concerned for their furtherance and joy. And in chapter 2, verse 24, he said, I trust the Lord that I myself might come shortly. So he wanted to come. And he was deeply concerned for their their spiritual progress. Um, so there's three places where we can reference that. Chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. In chapter 2, verse 1, if there's any consolation of love. And in chapter 4, verse 2, to be of the same mind. So Paul had this desire, but he couldn't do it. He needed somebody who could do it, who he could trust, who had demonstrated a willingness to be sent. And that was that was Timothy. So... So because Paul wanted to go to minister to the church but couldn't go, the best option was to send somebody who could go. 
That's what we do with missionaries. When we send a missionary, literally we're sending somebody to represent us on the mission field someplace to represent the body of HBF. They go as our representative. They don't go on their own. They don't go because they want to go. They go because we, as a, as a, as a mission board, think that they will represent us. The church, HBF, represent you to accomplish their mission, accomplish our mission, really. They're just there. We sent them like Timothy. Um, so Timothy and our missionaries carry our message, and they work towards unity, humility, clarity, and strength. That's what they should be doing when they're on the field is those things, building the body of Christ, not just doing their own thing. So Paul sent Timothy to assist the church in unity, insist the church in, uh, to assist them in facing persecution, and to assist them in dealing with false doctrine. And then he was to return and report back to Paul all that was accomplished. Because that's what he said. He says, uh, where is it at here? Him, therefore, verse 23, I, shall, I hope to sin presently so soon as I shall see how it goes for me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. He wanted to know what was going on there. The best way he could do it was to send somebody in his place. Okay, so there's six things that I want to point out about Timothy. The characteristic traits that I have, six features that Tim modeled as a manner of spiritual living that provide us missionary traits that we should possess. Number one, starting in verse 20, he was similar to Paul. He was similar to Paul. Now, I said that I personally think that Timothy is the, is the best example. Other people might disagree with me. Some people might say Paul is the best example. In fact, I know people do say that. Paul's a great example, but he's not the best example. But Timothy, modeling, modeling Paul, is, is a good example. And so... Paul said in verse 20 that there's no one like-minded to care for them, but Timothy was naturally like Paul, and so Timothy was sent as Paul. So he went in his place. He operated like Paul with a spiritual mind and not by emotion. And too often we're driven by emotion instead of driven by spiritual um, virtue. And so Paul sent Timothy to Corinth as well in a different time, and there was one reason, which was to imitate Paul. What better way to teach them? What this, think about this. If if we want to, uh, if we want people in another country to get to know HBF, what better way to do that than to send somebody from HBF who looks like HBF? So, Pastor Rajan, Pastor Pradeep, uh, other men that we know on the field and other places, they know you because some of us have gone there. And when they see us, they see you. And when they see you, they know who you are. And that's important to Paul, that the people would know him. So he did that to the church at Corinth so that they could get to see him as well. So this is the goal of our discipleship ministry. If you ever think about discipleship, why do we disciple? Well, we want to give you a Bible back foundation, right? We want to give you a solid Bible foundation. But you know what else we want to give you? We want to give you the the reproduction of other people that are HBF. We want you to look like HBF. Discipleship is that. We call it a relationship, but it's really reproduction. When a person is fully discipled, they will be like their teacher. 
That's why in the Bible Institute, Harlan Bible Institute, which, by the way, uh, we're on a summer break, but you may want to consider prayerfully that you take some of the classes uh, so that you can be like this. But when a person is fully discipled, they are like their teacher. Now, we, we have several teachers in our church, but all of our teachers are the same. We teach the same way. We teach the same information. We don't have our own doctrines that we're trying to um, uh, divide the church up into. And so when a person is fully discipled, they'll be like their teacher. The victory in discipleship is that we model who teaches us because they model who taught them. No, Okay, the second, the second thing about Timothy, again in verse 20, was he was sympathetic and genuinely concerned for the church. So that's one of your blanks as well. He was sympathetic and genuinely concerned for the church. He had a deep concern for the welfare of the church. Timothy had this, not just Paul, but Timothy did too. He cared for the people just as the shepherd of John chapter 10. Remember that story where he cared for the sheep and and said the same as Paul, who was willing to be poured out. How much do you care for the people? Verse 21, we see the third trait, which is a single-mindedness. He did not seek his own interests. He was not about to try to grow himself up, puff himself up, show himself to be better than any other missionary that's ever gone to this country someplace. That wasn't his thing. Um, But you know what? Nearly every believer has their own interests, unfortunately. And they seek their own desires and not what Christ would have them seek. And that's that's a fundamental problem in our hearts. We don't seek after what God seeks after. We seek after what we want to seek after. So here's a few things that Christ seeks after. Just, just, just think about this. This is what Christ seeks after. Number one, the glory of the Father. Christ always talked about that his Father be glorified. The second thing is, it was the rescue of lost souls. That was the reason he came to the earth, was to rescue lost souls. A third thing um, was the proof of the word. Uh, Paul or uh, Jesus Christ referred to the word as truth. And so he was always seeking the proof of the word uh, in his miracles, in his teaching, in his ministries, everything that he did proved the word. And then lastly was the furtherance of the gospel. That was something that Jesus Christ also sought after was the furtherance of his gospel. Yet too many Christians seek their own interest and are not of the single-mindedness of Christ. Remember what it said in verse 5? Go back in verse 5. This was our tool for chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that you glorify the Father, that you rescue lost souls, that you proof, that you have proof of the word, and that you further the gospel. So now here's three negative ways that you can let your mind get in the way of yourself and mess you up. And so this is not really a, a bullet point or anything on the handout, but let me just give you three things that human, humans do that get in the way of doing what they should be doing for Christ. Number one, they give in to slothfulness and do nothing important. Sometimes they just want to do what they want to do. And so, a lot of times it's slothfulness, laziness, uh, inconsistency, nothing that's, that's of importance to anything that's going to further the gospel. Number two, 
may set yourself a goal that is not of Christ and chase it down all your life. Some people just have a goal that they want to um, accomplish some great feat, and that's what they focus on their whole time, and everything in their life is consumed by accomplishing that. And number three was they take too many things, they take on too many things, and never give one of them, never get one of them done. So they're People think that they can multitask, and unfortunately, that's not the case. They just can't multitask. Timothy had one interest, and he was only interested in the things of Christ, and that's what we should be. Number four, in verse 22, Timothy was seasoned. He was seasoned. The church was already aware of who Timothy was, and their proof was they could trust who Timothy was. They knew who he was because they knew Paul. He had already proven his ministry is that it's worth his integrity, and he has well established his testimony, spoke well of him. So your testimony, you know, you say, well, your testimony precedes you. And it does. Your testimony does precede you. What testimony should you have? One of serving Christ, like, like Timothy here, sympathetic, single-minded, seasoned. And number five in verse 22 is submissive. Submissive. He did not serve Paul. But he did serve with Paul. He was not an underling. He was equal with Paul. And that's an amazing thing when you think about that. He was submissive, but he was equal. In fact, all three of these men were actually equal. And then the last uh, trait in verse 23 is he was serviceable, meaning he was extremely useful. And you know what? There are some people that uh, have come and gone in churches that I've been involved in, in mission fields that I've been involved in, different places where um, they're just not useful to the ministry. They kind of get in the way. They they block things. They, they suck up, we would probably say, they suck up good oxygen. They're getting in the way. They're not, they're not extremely useful. Timothy was extremely useful. And you and I, must be extremely useful. Timothy was constantly willing to be used. He never balked at what Paul said to him to do or what the church needed from him. He was capable of rising to the task, presented uh, uh, whatever the task was that was presented to him, and he was useful to the ministry. I love it when people can fit a need that has arisen in the ministry, whatever that ministry might be, whatever the circumstances might be, I can look at so-and-so, I won't say a name, but I can look at this person and I know that he's useful. He's extremely useful to the ministry and he will take care of that need right now. And I can say, brother, can you handle this? And he's going to say, I'll take care of it. And before I even have a chance, he has gone and done it. And we have several of these kind of people in our in, our, in the real life class. And I just, I, I just love these men and these women because they will do the job because I know that they can, they're, they're extremely useful. Timothy did not have his own agenda. He was single-minded of the interest of Christ. And then that brings us to Epaphrodite. Epaphrodite is a risk-taker. And uh, this one is probably the hardest one to really see. <clears throat> but um, if anybody, if we could fit anybody, maybe it's Epaphrodite's <clears throat> that would be the one that, that we could duplicate in our life as as a 
This is just a just a believer serving. So, who is Epaphrodite? He is a saint who reflected the spirit of the church. While none of us can ever be exactly like Paul or even be a Timothy, um, we can all be Epaphrodites. And that's that's that may sound like a bold statement, but I think it's true. He was not an apostle. He probably was not an elder of the church, although some do think, uh, some commentaries think that he might have been like a lay pastor or something. And that was one of the reasons he was chosen to bring the financial support to, to Paul in Rome. That may be, but the church, the passage doesn't say it. In fact, the only time that Epaphrodites is even mentioned is in the book of Philippians, and it doesn't say anything about uh, his background. Um, so yes, he is, though, a good example of the spirit of sacrifice, just because it is the same as Christ. Uh, but he has nothing to gain as far as prestige. He's just a guy. He's just he. And we have people like that in our church right now. Just people who just do what needs to be done, and sometimes they do it, and you don't even know they're doing it. They do it silently, but it, they know that in their heart it should be done. And he had the heart of a servant. He was willing to serve where he was sent, just like Timothy. He was sent from the church of Philippi to Rome. I'll talk more about that here in a minute because that's significant in his risk-taking. He was capable of preaching and teaching. Um, So he he wasn't a novice by any means. He was a humble man, but he had great courage because he knew that he was going to Rome. Picture this. He's going to Rome into uh, Paul's house. Paul's under under uh, police or under under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And everybody knows that Paul could die at any point. And so, you, so Epaphrodites is going there, and that puts him in a very risky position because if they decide to eliminate Paul, they could just as easily eliminate Epaphrodites. And so he's taking a risk by going in a place that could be dangerous to his life. But he still had a heart of a servant, and he still had great courage. And not only that, but the church trusted him. Think about that. The church sent him and trusted him to accomplish what needed to be done. Paul was under house arrest. The church was wanting to care for him. They raised up a contribution. They sent Epaphroditus to bring it. But more than that, he was to remain and serve Paul. So it wasn't like he was just showing up on a, on a, on a Tuesday Hey, we got this envelope full of money. We want to give it to you. See you later. Hope everything is go- is going well. I'm I'm heading home. Wasn't that he had? It's like go deliver the finances and stay and serve Paul for as long as it takes. They didn't even give him a deadline to come home. He was just there to serve. Um, so he was to remain there and serve his prison needs, whatever they may be. So this tells you that he's not just any man, but one that represented the church body. He looked like the church that sent him. And we talked about we should look like our church. So we too, we can see that he has a servant's heart. He was not there to preach or teach. Just He wasn't there to like preach to Paul. Paul knew the Bible. But he was there uh, to minister to Paul. And whatever that took, uh, whatever that, wash his clothes, bake his bread, I don't know, anything, but do something to serve him. He had courage, knowing the circumstances that he was going into Rome. 
Um, so this is how Paul saw it in verse 25. Let's read that. We didn't read this passage, but let's read starting in verse 25 down to the end. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy upon him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully, that when ye see him again ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and with, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he hath nigh unto death, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me. So in verse 25, we see that Paul, that Paul thought about Epaphroditus in a certain special way. He, first, he called him a brother. There was a bond in the sense of spiritual birth. They both were believers. Um, uh, they had they'd grown to love, Paul had grown to love Epaphroditus as a brother, and they cared for each other. So, so he's a brother. And what Paul means about that is that not only were they sharing common life, but that he loved, he was loved as a brother with a personal family bond, having the same source of life, which was from Christ. And so we refer to people a lot of times as brother or sister, but we say that as a Christianese concept or title more than we say, you are my brother and that means a great deal to me. We don't, we don't, we don't allow the weight of the word brother, the way Paul used it, to be used by us or by somebody else when they say, hey, you're my brother, you're my sister. Yeah, I know we're all of the same family. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the bond that we come together. And that bond is also found in the second word. He says he's a companion in labor. Epaphroditus did not just care for Paul's needs. He was a companion in the ministry as they both worked in this, the same ministry of the gospel. He came alongside Paul to extend the message and to lead people to Christ, even suffering in the ministry. So he was he was always there. Not only was he caring for his needs, but he was helping him in the ministry. He took care of whatever he needed to take care of. He came along Paul to extend the message, leading people to Christ, even suffering in the ministry. Whatever Paul suffered, probably a lot of times Epaphroditus suffered it as well. And he was just as involved as Paul in the furthering of the gospel. And then he refers to him as a fellow soldier. That's the third thing that he says. Now we associate this title, fellow soldier, with the efforts to teach and correct as we are at war. And we think of Ephesians six twelve and Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, and so on. Um, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we rest not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in the, of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now that's not exactly what Paul means here in this, in this passage about fellow soldier. What he's talking about is he has given him a title of honor. Uh, when we call somebody a fellow soldier, we're talking about an honorable title. It's a title, it, uh, it elevates the soldier to be equal with the commander. It means that the person ranked as a strategic people in the forces. In other words, 
They were both great leaders. Paul trusted the leadership of Epaphrodites. He called him a fellow soldier. He was equal to Paul in his work. That's a pretty bold statement for Paul to make, because think about this. Paul was an apostle. Paul was the one chosen by God to write the majority of the New Testament. Epaphrodites didn't do it. Now, Epaphrodites did pen the book of Philippians. If you look at the last chapter, the last verse, you'll see that it was penned by Epaphrodites. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. He he is um, equally a fellow soldier. And so that's what we want to be. We want to be like one of these missionaries. He was their messenger. Now, there are two other titles, but your messenger and he that ministered, those are the titles that he's referring to from the church, how the church sees Epaphrodites. He was the bearer of support for Paul and also the bearer of the message from the church. So he was the messenger. He brought the message. He delivered the message. He gave the message. And when we send a missionary or a mission team, whether we send a team of people like we sent a team of people down to Oaxaca, Mexico last fall, and we wanted to send people to India again this year. That didn't work out, but that's okay. We still had, they both had the same ultimate purpose. Um When we send a missionary or a mission team, we are send, sending support and we're sending a message to the to the people there. The word messenger here is similar to the Greek word as priestly service, which we looked at in verse 17. And service here is, again, the, the word um, that is translated as ministry. So, so sometimes you'll see this Greek word as service. Sometimes you'll see it as ministry. But it really, in this case, is talking about the priestly servant where Paul is saying he is a priestly man, a religious man, a a righteous man, a humble man. So Epaphrodites came to meet his spiritual needs, and he came to minister the word to Paul. And then in verse 25, um, you know, sometimes sometimes we have to send missionaries home. And so Paul sends Epaphrodites back, uh, Epaphroditus back to Philippi because he had been sick. And the church had heard he was sick, and they became distressed. And this is really interesting. They were distressed because they heard that he was sick, and Epaphrodites was distressed because he heard that they were distressed at his distress of being sick. And so Paul sent him sent him home to relieve everybody's distress. But there's more to it than all of that. In verses 27 to 29, God spared Epaphrodites. Um, they said he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy. So God did something here. We don't know what happened, and we don't know what sickness he had. It really doesn't matter. God spared him, but his situation was distressing to the church, so Paul chose to send him home eagerly to resolve the stress in everybody. And see, Paul was also deeply concerned that the church rejoice in knowing that Epaphrodites was accomplishing everything that they had sent him to do. And then in verse 30, we we learned a little bit more detail because it says in verse 30 there was a threat to his life, and the threat was not a disease. Scripture doesn't say he was medically sick. He was willing to risk his life in order to serve, and he took the chance that he would forfeit his life to give all to Christ. Um, You see where I'm at here. Okay, so look at verse 30. 
Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. For the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. Doesn't say he had a medical sickness. He had a medic, he had something going on. Um, and it says, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Their lack of service was they couldn't all come. They sent Epaphroditus, just like we talked about earlier. We would send a missionary because we can't all go. So, Scripture doesn't say that he was medically sick, but it does say that he was willing to risk his life in order to serve. And he took the chance that he would forfeit his life to give all to serve Christ in ministering to Paul. question is, what would we do in a situation like this? Would we put our life on the line? So the term, the work of Christ, meaning the furtherance of the gospel, was the threat that Epaphroditus risked his life to do. He had risked his life to accomplish what he was sent to do, and he was there to do what the church could not do, and his life was under threat, but that threat did not hinder him. Verse 30 says that he did not regard his life. Um, because for the work of, the, of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. He was not fearful of losing his life. That phrase, not regard, means to know the risk but disregard it, to hazard it, to bring it about, to take a chance, to gamble your life by exposing yourself to danger. What would you do if it came to the point where we were no longer allowed to to proclaim the gospel in this country? Would you do it? Or would you say, well, the law says I can't do that now. Would you be Epaphrodites? Would you say, you know what? I am not going to regard my life in the need to get the word out to serve according to God's word. He entered a Roman city to minister and care for a Roman prisoner who potentially got, was going to lose his life. If Paul were to be executed, and so would Epaphrodites. And so the church was distressed that he may die. So Paul returned him to comfort the church that he is okay. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was an opportunity for them to send him back again, if necessary. So the, so let me just wrap all of this up. These men are the greatest examples of missionaries who have ever, who have ever entered the field as messengers and ministers because they love Christ. I find this passage of scripture, uh, it really, it, it, it had more than I read, than I, than I could have ever imagined that was in here. But this gives, this gives us as a church, gives us as believers, as Christians, a pattern of three men. Okay, we we all know I can't be Paul. I cannot be like, well, I know Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But I can't be like Paul. I'm not an apostle. I'm not an intelligent guy like Paul. I, I can't do that. And so we think that lets us off the hook. And then God gives us Timothy. And uh, Timothy, we don't know about his background. We know that he grew up in a, in a broken home or at least a mixed religious home uh, from Acts chapter 16. Uh, we know that his grandmother helped raise him. We knew his mom helped raise him. But we don't know anything about his father other than that his father was not a, not a Jew. But Timothy has these character qualities that we examine that either one, each one of us could pick up those character qualities and turn them into our life and make them make us make our life look like Timothy. And, of course, we can hazard our lives pretty easily by being an Epaphroditus. It would not take much to do that. They became uh, the brother to other ministers. 
as well as the companions to other ministers and the fellow soldiers with other ministers. Can't we do that? Can't we be brothers like that? And not just, hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, bro. We, we even shorten the word. Hey, bro. You never say, hey, sis. Do we ever say, hey, sis? Anyway, you know what I'm saying. I hope you get what I'm saying. There, we can become a brother in ministry. We can become a companion in ministry. We can become a fellow soldier by taking on the trait of these three men. Even if we pick and choose, I want to be Paul sacrificial. I want to be Timothy uh, uh, steadfast. I want to be Epaphrodites uh, willing to willing to take a chance. That's easy for all of us. So these men are examples that we should follow into ministry, whether we're going to be a missionary on the mission field and sent halfway around the world, or if we're going to be a, minister, a missionary on in the in the building HBF, and we're going to be a missionary there, a brother, a companion, and a fellow soldier. Sometimes we we too need to have a missionary mindset like this, and this is a great example here in this in this passage here to be. If we're going to further the gospel, wouldn't we want to take on that role? All right, well, we're going to go ahead and end up here. Uh, I hope this was profitable for you. We will start Chapter 3 next week, uh, but we will be in the classroom. Um, my, my plan is to live stream from the real-life classroom for people who are not in the real-life classroom. So if there's people that can't make it to our class for because they feel uncomfortable or feel like it's not not wise for them to be there next Sunday, that's fine. We also have other people who are not physically in part of our church, but are, they watch our videos. So I'm going to try uh, to stream this out. So you'll see some testing going on throughout the week to see if I can figure out a way to do this. Um, but that will happen in the classroom. Um and uh, so we will be there at 9 o'clock um, if somebody wants to bring um, donuts that would be great I don't know if we can get coffee made as we have before in the past I don't know if that's going to be able to be workable or not um, but uh, we will try to return to this, as much normalcy as possible next Sunday uh, and then we'll be in the main service at 10.30 so let's pray Thank you for being online with me this 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 evening. I appreciate uh, all of you. I love the whole class. I love everybody in the real life class. You all mean so much to me. I do consider you brothers and sisters and companions and fellow laborers. That's how I see you all, because I see you all serving and having the heart like one of these missionaries. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the uh, the passage that we've studied in the book of Philippians chapter 2, Lord, and just the example of these three men. What a powerful statement it is that we can choose uh, their their qualities and we can examine our life and say, this is what I want to look like. And we can strive to be that according to your word, your will and your, and your desire for us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, class, I'm going to end the video. Love you all. See you the next chance I get.